Brian McClanahan Show, episode 207. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan, like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan, and of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. You can find all those social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com where it's always free to enroll. You get a free course when you do so, and those that do enroll do get the best deals on forthcoming courses. I've got eight courses available for purchase, and so you get something out of supporting the show. You get a great course, and you also support the show. It's a great way to do it. If you want to just support the show, though, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going, or you can go to anchor.fm, search for the show, Brian McClanahan Show, and you've got a way to support the show there. You can also leave a message if you want to get on the show. And uh, maybe ask a question that I can answer. So it's a great way to interact with the show as well. Anchor.fm is the new host for the Brian McClanahan Show. Uh, also, don't forget that you can get your Brian McClanahan Show gear. Just go to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on that shop tab at the top of the page. You can get my logo on t-shirts, skins for electronic devices, wall clocks, stickers, all kinds of cool stuff. It's a great way to support the show and advertise the show. Think locally, act locally is, of course, the slogan. And you're going to get people doing that. And they'll start talking about it. So if you want to bring the message to the world, get some Brian McClanahan Show gear. And of course, always share the show around on social media. Rate it on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that way more people listen and more people are going to be converted to our side of thinking locally and acting locally. All right, so let's talk about the show. And um, you're going to see a lot of information on World War II coming up here. We're in the period of time we're getting to about the 78th and what is the 78th anniversary of American involvement in World War II. Uh, we're almost to the 75th. Uh, we just had the 75th anniversary, I should say, of American involvement at uh, or the D-Day invasion. So we've seen a lot of World War II. We're going to see as, as, uh, as December rolls around, people will talk about Pearl Harbor and of course Americans, uh, you know, the American declaration of war in World War II. Um, so I thought it would be appropriate at this point to talk about World War II. Um, it's, of course, one of the topics, if you watch the History Channel or any of these, there's so many documentaries about World War II, and people jokingly call the History Channel the Hitler Channel, right? Uh, because it seems like every time there's a you turn on the History Channel, there's a documentary about Adolf Hitler on there. Um, but World War II is a transformational event, and I get into this in one of my classes at McClanahan Academy, the second half of my U.S. History Survey course. I talk a little bit about it in the Reconstruction course as well. But World War II is a transformational event, and it changed so many things in America. And so this is why I titled this podcast, How World War II Screwed Up America. Um, it did some things that uh, we can't undo. We've opened a Pandora's box that cannot be closed. And I say that because of the cultural, political, 
diplomatic, economic, military transformation of America. I mean, I, th I don't think there's any more important event in the 20th century than World War II. And outside of, say, the War for Southern Independence or the American War for Independence, there's no more important event. And if you look at those three events, I mean, think about it. Amer American War for Independence, 1776 to 1783, or 1775 to 1783. Uh, the War for Southern Independence, 1861 to 1865, this 80 years. And then it's about 80 years, and we get World War II. Three transformational events about 80 years apart. And all had to do with war. All had to do with the aftermath and the effects that war has on all of these things in society. So let me talk about these different categories and how the war fundamentally transformed America. And I'll start with politically and the way we think about things in American politics and American society and the way that the left actually sells their agenda. And the war is directly related to this. So if you back up before the war, we get 1929. Of course, you have the stock market crash and the beginning of the Great Depression. And Herbert Hoover's response was essentially the New Deal. This is what the Franklin Roosevelt camp has, has openly said or openly said at the time and that historians now recognize that Herbert Hoover really was the architect of the New Deal, that Roosevelt campaigned on cutting spending and taxes that he thought Hoover was spending too much. And then, of course, Roosevelt gets into office, and we get, in 1933, and we get the New Deal. And what you see there is a tremendous transfer of power from the legislative branch to the executive branch. In fact, there was a rumor, John T. Flynn wrote about this. The rumor was that Roosevelt... Uh, or the Congress was passing a rolled-up newspaper. They didn't have a bill yet. Roosevelt hadn't written the bill. They're just going to pass it. And there, was a, there were proposals to make Roosevelt a virtual dictator of the United States. Congress was completely abrogating its responsibility to legislate and to do its job, and we got executive government. Now, it doesn't mean we didn't have executive government before that. Of course we did. I mean, we had Woodrow Wilson, um, we had Abraham Lincoln. We had periods of time. We had Teddy Roosevelt where we had executive government. You can go back and point to those individuals, more Lincoln and Roosevelt, and, of course, Wilson following suit. But the fact is there were still people in Congress who were seeking restraint at that point. He still Those, those presidents, Lincoln included, Roosevelt, Wilson, still had a substantial congressional opposition to complete a complete uh, takeover of the general government by the executive branch. That was gone, essentially, by... 1933. And we know in 1937 there was Josiah Bailey and, this, and the conservative manifesto, and there were those that were saying we need to try to block Roosevelt. We know that Congress did block the court packing scheme. But for the most part, Roosevelt got away with whatever he wanted because the Congress decided it was no longer going to legislate. It was going to let the president set the agenda, and then it would follow suit. The New Deal was not going well by 1937. If it wasn't for World War II, the New Deal would not have been entrenched in American society. In fact, I think you can make the case that it, you might have seen a rollback on some of these things if we had never had World War II um, and the United States' involvement in that. Now, the United States didn't get involved until 1941, but of course, 
1939, all of Europe is at war, and the United States is taking an interest in that. And of course, um, they are, there is speculation the U.S. is going to get involved. So Roosevelt uses the opportunity of the war, as Wilson used the opportunity of the war, to create vast bureaucratic nightmares for the future of the United States. And the the, the prime example of that is the Second Bill of Rights. Now, if you look at how he framed the Second Bill of Rights, and it is the current talking points for the Democrat Party. I mean, even Bernie Sanders the other day tweeted out that we should follow the Second Bill of Rights. Who says the progressives don't have any new ideas, right? I mean, who says they're not on the cutting edge? We're just going back to 1945. I mean, just who says these people aren't on, on the vanguard of new ideas in American society from 1945. In fact, I mean, I think you can make the case that the progressives in many ways are the real conservatives because what they're trying to conserve is the progressive takeover of America, and they don't like it when you resist that. So they've done it. I mean, we live in a progressive society now. They've done it completely, and anyone that opposes that is going to be silenced in some way or another. So the second Bill of Rights is sold, or at least Roosevelt attempts to sell it, on the fact that you have all these soldiers coming home from war, and they don't have a place to live, and they don't have an education, and they don't have health care. He's selling it based on veterans. And remember, World War II was the largest mobilization in the history of the United States. The largest mobilization in the history of the United States. Over 10 million men were in the United States military. So you've got all these veterans coming back. It's where we get the GI Bill. You want to see where you have the massive expansion of the education industry, which is what it is, higher education industry. Just go back and look at the GI Bill. The GI Bill fundamentally transformed higher education in America because what the GI Bill is going to do is pump thousands and thousands of dollars per semester, per individual, into American education. Ultimately, millions, if not, and of course, billions of dollars into American education. So it creates this vast financial aid industry that will then grow with Pell Grants following that. But this all begins with the GI Bill, that the federal government should have some type of role in providing education for former soldiers coming back from the war. We should be able to send them to colleges and universities free of charge. Of course, it's not free. Taxpayers are paying for it. And the universities start realizing, well, you know what we can do if we're going to get this influx of cash? We're going to start raising tuition. It used to be you could go to an Ivy League school for four years for about the average salary of an American worker, or an annual, one annual salary of an American worker. So you go for four years for very little money in reality. Now, it's more, the, the just one year, one year of tuition in an Ivy League school is more than the, I, mean, I think it's um, almost twice what the average salary is for an American worker in the United States today. Just one year. Why? Well, for, some of that has to do with endowments and other things. And, and, but when you look at, say, even a community college, community colleges understand that they're going to get federal aid, whether it's a VA whether it's a Pell Grant, whether it's a student loan, they're going to get aid. 
And so they adjust their tuition rates accordingly because they know they've got guaranteed cash. So when you've got guaranteed cash, rates go up. All of this goes back to the idea that everyone should get a college education. Everyone deserves that. This is a, this is a human right to have an education. So, uh, and of course, the idea that we have government-funded education comes straight out of the Communist Manifesto. But this is where we get uh, a fundamental transformation of America and the, and the codification of the New Deal in American society. You look at all the talking points. Americans need health care. I mean, this is something we talk about. We need, so I thought, you know, this program is supposed to do it. No, no, that's not enough. We've got to go here, here, and here. That's the way the progressives always work. They take a little, and then they take a little, and they take a little, and eventually you've got uh, um, a monstrosity of federal authority over something that they really don't have any constitutional uh, authority to do anyways. Uh, you look at housing. You look at all of these things that the federal government now gets involved with and regulates and all of that comes out of the war. No war, the New Deal might have been rolled back. And of course, the New Deal becomes the starting point for the Great Society. And then, uh, or the Fair Deal, which um, you know Truman talked about, and then the Great Society. And of course, now we've got new uh, progressive plans for this or that. So... This is where World War II fundamentally transformed the way we talk about American politics and the powers of the central government and what we want out of the central authority. So that's one. The second, of course, is um, this idea of nationalism, which I talk a lot about on this, on this podcast and how dangerous nationalism actually is to the stability of the United States politically. The reason that Americans are so angry is because we have one-size-fits-all government for everything. And that comes out of the New Deal and, of course, the races. But we have one-size-fits-all government, and that is in the spirit of nationalism that was pronounced during World War II. I mean, no one flew U.S. flags all over the place before World War II. You'd have some of it. But during World War II, everyone starts flying U.S. flags. And then you get this idea of we're all one people and one nation. we got to go do these. It was, it was not just a mobilization of the United States in terms of military. It was a mobilization of the United States economy and everything else that had never been seen before. So you have this wave of American nationalism, and that becomes the basis of the way we think about the United States, the American nation. Uh, of course, during that time period, th 30s and then in the 40s, but really the 40s, um, you saw, again, this entrenched in American society. The, uh, before that, of course, we had the Pledge of Allegiance and the National Anthem, things that were coming out of the, of the early 20th century, but you really see it ramp up during World War II. Now, if you don't say the Pledge or you don't have the National Anthem before your, uh, your Rotary Club meeting, uh, you're not a good American. You know, before a, a, a bowling tournament, we've got to have the, uh, the National Anthem played before the bowling tournament. Got to show our good patriotic zeal for before we bowl. I mean, it's replaced, it's become a civic religion. It's replaced saying a prayer. You know, forget about, uh, we're going to say a prayer, hope all the bowlers do well, and everyone has a good time, and uh, nobody gets hurt, and these kind of things. No, not that, or any sporting event. Nope, we're going to replace that with, let's, uh, let's show our civic religion by singing the national anthem, and we're going to cry and have flyovers and all kinds of stuff. But that all comes out of World War II. It's a byproduct of World War II. 
Um, the other thing, of course, that has to do with this is the long-standing effect that Hitler in, in Germany had on our psyche in America, that we're going over to fight the Nazis, and uh, we've got Nazis in our midst. And so when we come back, when these come back and we start reevaluating in the United States, now we find Nazis everywhere in the United States, even if no Nazis exist. And one of the prime examples of that is the fact that now somehow the, the, the South and, of course, the Confederacy, which many descendants of Confederate veterans fought in World War II against the Nazis, uh, these this has now been been considered synonymous with the Nazis. Um, it's preposterous, totally different things. Uh, but we now have this perception that anything that is somehow against the left is Nazis, even though the Nazis were really leftists. But regardless, anything that's somehow against what these progressives want in American society is Nazism. So that stain on Western civilization is, uh, is tremendous. Um, this is why Charles Lindbergh said that the war is going to destroy Western civilization. And it has in many ways, because we've got all this stupidity running around now, uh, comparing things that are not comparable because you oppose the progressive agenda. And, and essentially, that's what's happening. Now, the Nazis, again, were progressives. So, I mean, this is where this is all just complete gobbledygook and how these people describe these things. They don't really know what they're talking about. But the fact is, that, that, that stain, that now anything, well, you oppose me, you're a Nazi. So we use these terms, and, just, and we have Antifa. I mean, these people are fascists. They're, they're, they are the fascists, yet they're the anti-fascists, supposedly. Because everything is, anybody that opposes them is a fascist. These people are so stupid, they can't get out of their own way. But uh, the fact remains, uh, this is where we are, and it's because of World War II. So as I said, World War II screwed up America. Uh, and not just, I mean, the United States getting involved in it, but just the entire event overall. And I've got more to talk about, but I'm going to take a quick break. I'll see you on the other side. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 to present 
you've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, you've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum, or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about how World War II screwed up America. And uh, the last two things, and I think maybe the most important parts of this idea that World War II screwed up America is military and diplomatic. Um, and I've said this, I say it in my courses, but you, you cannot get around the fact that diplomacy drives domestic policy. And um, it's, it's without question, this is the case. Diplomacy drives domestic policy. World War II has driven domestic policy since 1945. I mentioned with uh, the Second Bill of Rights, but not just that. When you look at what World War II created, number one, it created the Cold War. No World War II, no Cold War. In fact, this is one of the points that Pat Buchanan tried to make, and he was just raked over the coals for this. If the United States had not gotten involved in World War II, what would have happened? Hitler and Stalin would have slugged it out, and one would have won. Maybe Stalin's defeated. Maybe. And you don't have this monstrosity in Eastern Europe of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was on very tenuous ground in, even in 1941 to 40, 39 to 45. It had only been around for about 20 years. And it was already a brutal regime. I mean, look, Stalin was worse than... Hitler, when it came to slaughtering his own people, Hitler was awful. Stalin was worse. And then, of course, you get with <laughs> with World War II, you get the, the Chinese communists coming into power. No World War II, no Chinese communists. I mean, World War II helped create that. No World War II, no Vietnamese communists, no Korean communists. You see... World War II opened the floodgates to the communist takeover of Asia and, of course, Eastern Europe. It was a disaster. So perhaps not having this war, at least not getting the United States involved in the war, maybe Hitler and Stalin would have finished this thing, and maybe Stalin's defeated, and we don't see the communist takeover of Asia and um, Eastern Europe. Now, that doesn't factor in Japan, right? So Japan ostensibly brings the United States into the war by attacking the U.S. at Pearl Harbor. But the United States, of course, was being aggressive at the same time there. And you know, the Japanese were the Japanese Empire was awful in its treatment of civilians in China, um, in Korea, and other places. I mean, it, it was not good. Um, but again, our position that we're going to get involved in this war and then the power vacuum that creates in Asia, whether it's in China or Korea or, or Southeast Asia, it's tremendous. And that's going to open the door to communist insurrection in those areas. So the Cold War is a complete byproduct of World War II. The nuclear arms race, 
is a byproduct of World War II. No World War II, maybe there's no nuclear arms race the way it developed in the world. And, of course, the massive buildup of these type of weapons of mass destruction. Maybe that doesn't happen. No World War II, no Cold War in the Middle East. World War II directly resulted, I'm sorry, the, the, the war on terror is a direct result of the Cold War, which is a direct result of World War II. The United States and the Soviet Union trying to decide who's going to control the Middle East. If you just take one particular example of Iran, well, Iran had a parliamentary democracy. Unfortunately for the British, that parliamentary democracy involved nationalization of oil fields. British Petroleum didn't like that, and so they asked the United States to get involved and overthrow Mossadegh in Iran. That led to the installment of the Shah. And that led to the radicalization of Iranian politics. No World War II, no Cold War, no radicalization of the Middle East. So, World War II is the gift that keeps on giving to this very day when it comes to diplomacy and what we're doing. I mean, even the stuff when you get into Trump and Ukraine and Russia and all those things. Uh, it is uh, amazing how um, these old arguments are coming back now in 2019. Uh, when you look at me, look look at the Ukraine should uh, and and uh, and Russian involvement in Ukraine. Is it going to be part of Russia or not? I mean, this all goes back to World War II and the Cold War. All of it, the way we think about the Russians, the way we conceptualize world geopolitical positions. It's all going back, even having the United Nations, right? That was a creation of World War II. So World War II is the disaster, not the gift, but the disaster that keeps on having after disaster after disaster. It's horrible. And yet... Every, every year, we get extreme celebrations of, let's, uh, let's celebrate World War II, an American victory in World War II. We lost. Americans lost because of World War II. Thousands and thousands of Americans have died after World War II because of World War II. Our entire political and economic structure has been changed because of World War II. It is an unmitigated disaster for humanity. And I know some people would say that, well, I mean, we got some good things out of this. Uh, we, we ended uh, the Holocaust. I mean, yeah, we ended. Yeah, the, okay, great. We, we got those things. Uh, understandable. But the, the impact overall for the rest of the world has been a disaster. Um, and, and again, American involvement, maybe if the United States had not gotten involved, some of these things might have turned out differently. I don't know. I mean, you can place all this back on, of course, the Nazis, too, in beginning the war. And if it wasn't for the Nazis, then we wouldn't have had this war. And uh, so that's that's true. Um, so it's not just the United States, but the war itself. And I'm just looking at how this thing played out. World War II is a, is a disaster. Again, I, I mentioned Charles Lindbergh, and he said World War II is going to destroy Western civilization. It has. It's completely destroyed Western civilization. So diplomatically, the way we think about the world, the way we think about geopolitics, the way we think about um, American involvement in the world, look, the American empire was solidified by World War II. 
Uh, and then, of course, the Cold War and everything else, it all comes out of World War II. So World War II was a disaster in that way. And then, finally, when we look at military, the military, the United States has not demobilized um, after World War II. We never did. We never demobilized. Our military, the United States military, it's the largest in the world. And I, I was watching, uh, you know, Tom Woods put out in his email, there was a, a comedian that um, was blasting Fox News and um, it was progressive. But the reason is because uh, uh, there was a, uh, one of Tom Woods' guests was on was on Fox News and he was talking about how, how massive military spending is and all the people around that were just crossing their arms. How dare you say we're going to cut the military? We can't cut the military. That's going to starve soldiers. And we're, how are we going to be so safe in the world if we don't have a military? And the point was that we have a military that's larger, and we spend more on it than the next 10 countries combined. And somehow we're going to starve soldiers, or we're, going to, we're not going to have peace in the world if the United States doesn't have the most massive military ever seen in the history of the world. We don't spend more money in developing... Pro- Look... The military, as John Randolph of Roanoke pointed out in the early 19th century, and again, this is I'm not, I'm not criticizing soldiers who go and they do what they're told, and but the the policy decisions, and this is where this is often confused. How dare you criticize the military? Mm. And you cross your arms. The problem's not the soldiers; it's the policy. But John Randolph of Roanoke pointed out in the 19th century that this is just going to become another massive welfare program. Essentially, what you get with a large standing army is a welfare program. And it is. You can't figure out something else to do. Go join the military, and you'll be given a government paycheck, and you're taken care of. Now, of course, you have to put your life on the line. In some cases, not everyone does. I mean, look, the person that sits behind a desk is not putting their life on the line. A lot of deployments are just supply. These people aren't putting their life on the line. They're going over there to move stuff around. Uh, The frontline soldiers, of course, put their life on the line, and it's hard on them. But should we even want this, right? I mean, this, the question is, when you start criticizing American foreign policy and you say, maybe we shouldn't be in 100-plus countries around the world, and maybe we shouldn't spend all this money, you're actually doing it out of love for the soldiers themselves to not have to put them in harm's way all the time. Is it necessary? But we've never demobilized. So we keep spending more and more and more. And the Cold War is a by, as part of this. we got to have more. we got to spend more because we got to beat the commies. We gotta have more nuclear warheads. We gotta put more bang, more bang for your buck. We gotta have more tanks, more airplanes, better airplanes, better naval vessels. We gotta spend billions of dollars on all of these things. We gotta have the newest ships, the newest aircraft, the newest everything. Um, because if we don't, then they're gonna beat us. New submarines. After World War One, the United States demobilized. And uh, there was a lot of criticism for the United States over that. We shouldn't have demobilized. We should have kept the big standing army that we created in World War I. We should have kept that. And then World War II, we would have been different for World War II. So we can't demobilize anymore because if we don't, we see what happens. We get a power vacuum. And then Hitler comes and we're going to have more Hitlers, more Stalins. I mean, think about how these, we don't don't get involved here. We're going to have another Hitler. We're going to have Hitler in the Middle East. We're going to have a Hitler in Europe. We're going to have a Hitler in Asia. We're just going to get Hitler all over the place. Hell, we're going to have a Hitler in the United States, right? We've got him in the White House. If we don't demobilize, what we're going to happen? If we do demobilize, if we, if, if we demobilize, we're going to have it. If we, and even if we don't demobilize, we're going to have it. I mean, we can't do this. 
Think about the hysteria, the hyperbole, and fear and all that. So this is where World War II really is, an unmitigated disaster for all kinds of things. Rhetorically, I mean, all the things I just said, look, Trump is Hitler. And, of course, when that didn't work, when that, nobody was ever, yeah, okay, whatever, you morons. Uh, they, they've moved on to something else, but, of course, it's still, Trump is just a reincarnation of, of you know, the, the alt-right or whatever it is. Um, and we know these these morons are running around out there, the uh, Richard Spencers and people. Um, but uh, the fact is that there are such a small minority. I mean, it, it's, it's so funny. It, making boogeymans out of things that have no influence and no impact and no power whatsoever on people that are just completely irrelevant at the end of the day. Um, and again, that's a byproduct of World War II. These are lost souls. People that run around the, the uh, that run around saying they're lost souls. They really are lost souls. Uh, who don't understand America and American republicanism and American decentralization. They don't understand any of that. Um, and I think that's the saddest part about what, again, another part of the gift of World War II that keeps on giving is that somehow that legacy is still there. And if people really understood America, I mean, look, again, I mentioned this with uh, people fighting, Southerners fighting in the war that had descendants of Confederate uh, ancestors. Um these people aren't Nazis. They're fighting against the Nazis. They're real Republicans with a lowercase r. I mean, they were interested in um, freedom and liberty and individualism. And that's not something that the Nazis were necessarily interested in at all. So these individuals that run around now and say these stupid things, I mean, it's just, um, it doesn't fit with American the American tradition. And... World War II, um, I think, should go down maybe you know 200 years from now, 300 years from now, as people are writing histories of this, the 20th century, 21st century. You know, we look back, we, we put things in such large perspective. You know, if you go back to Roman history, Greek history, we have these large chunks of time. I think historians will see World War II as a real transformational event for the world. Uh, and I... And it, now, we could, we could say this is all a byproduct of the French Revolution. I think you can make that case as well. But uh, certainly, uh, World War II uh, was a watershed event for not just the United States, but the history of the world. And um, a lot of how we think about politics and society and diplomacy and uh, e economics, all these things are daily affected by our understanding of World War II and our conceptualization of World War II. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.